Hi, hello. Welcome. Hi, Janet. Hi, <laughs> Kitty. <laughs> <A> delay. <laughs> the delay is just. <laughs> I was contemplating together. I don't have my shit together. I was contemplating taking a bite of food while I'm doing the <laughs> intro. Yeah. You know, my lifelong friend Cindy, who I adore so much. I did a thing for a long time where every time I would think about calling Cindy, I was also eating food. And I would call her and eat on the phone and so she finally just said you just can't wait till you're done eating to call me. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I am sorry. <laughs> and I, I still no do it. Like, my mind still wants to do it now. When I think of calling Cindy, I'm like, oh, I should get a bowl of granola. And then I'm like, why do I? I don't know. It's like the worst thing to try to sneakily eat, which I just don't even. I'll either eat the granola, call her later, or call her, eat the granola later. But I'm trying to multitask. You know what I mean? You're just trying to. <sighs> Just trying to figure it out, you know. We're doing the best we can. It's a complicated situation. (laughs) Managing this avatar and this form and these feelings and these this conditioning is just sometimes some days are better (laughs) than others. Yeah, it seems like we've been having a lot of conversations around the house about. Well, we started back up with our drumming, which we call free concert Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we um have tried we're trying we are conscious conscious we have brought into the light some bad behavior with sugar (laughs) oh that oh i'm in the middle of a first step around sugar the sweet treats it's real painful we, and we both did some workouts last week. Mm, yeah, we've been working. I've been working out a little. Yeah, I haven't yet today. I did a meditation this morning. You know, I love Tara Brock, and I took a break from her for a bit. And then it's fun to do that because then a bunch of stuff stacks up, like a bunch of meditations or talks or whatever stack up. If I'm not like inter- doing the same thing each day, like the content that she. Whatever, but the but her content and her voice and just everything about her really resonates with me. It just it just feels nice, and she's a little bit funny, and yeah, she's I lovely. Love her. She's lovely. It was nice to return to her this morning and just feel I just feel comfort and I feel familiar when I do her stuff, and her meditations, or listen to her talks. I really enjoy her, and it was nice to. It was also nice to take a break, but. I've always done better with a guided meditation. I've always done better being able to just get through the whole thing. And that's also why I think when we do the drumming, why that works for me also. Because I have something else to distract my mind with, to focus on just like the the action of hitting the drum or the sound of the drum or the different sounds of the drum or like the underneath sounds that start to come up after you've been drumming for a while, just like the wild stuff that you hear and just being able to kind of distract my brain from just complete total silence. Yeah. They're just different tools. Like Mm -hmm. mindfulness meditation of in like silent meditation, I think is a really important tool, particularly for Mm -hmm. alcoholics but I also like it's like a screwdriver and a hammer. They're both they're both great, and you kind of need both of them maybe to have a complete toolkit. Mm-hmm. But they're not used for the same thing. I mean, drumming I think is a different 
it's exercising a different thing than mindfulness is exercising, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like mindfulness meditation teaches you about returning to breath, right? Returning to Mm -hmm. the root, returning to the base, like home base, returning. You know, I think a lot of people think like, well, I don't like mindfulness meditation because I can't turn my thoughts off, which guess what? Nobody can, right? The, right? the point is not to sit in absolute internal silence. The point is to right. like notice that you've drifted into a thought or a story or some kind of like, oh, I have pain in my elbow. What does that mean? Like that you know <laughs> yeah, that you notice yeah, yeah. those things and that you, you know, let them go like a passing car on the road instead of like, I don't get in the car and, and ride along with it. Right. I just notice mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's a thought that's passing. And, and the reason why I think that's in really important for alcoholics is the same thing happens, at least in my experience of alcoholism is I tend to get distracted away from the base, right. Away from like the simple kit of spiritual tools. And I get lost in a narrative or a story of like, and I drift away, and and my job is to notice that and to return to the base, return to home. Right, and to not get in the car, to use your analogy, like uh, like when I'm in that obsessive thinking or when I don't have any defense against that thought and I get in the car. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's a car. I want to get in that car. I need to go somewhere. So I get in the car and go instead of just watching it go by. Like, wow, this thought has come up that it would be a good idea for me to use one time. Yep. And it'll be different. Here's how. Yeah. And I can notice that that's like, oh, that's a thought that's passing by. That is a feeling that I have. And I mean, what I have noticed is thoughts don't stick around, right? They will Mm -hmm. pass like all things do. All things must pass. I think of it like a cloud. Mm -hmm. I just watch the cloud float by and I stick the thought on that cloud and I see the words or I see a picture of what represents that thought to me. The dog is squeaking, as you can hear. Yes, dear. I thought, forgot I was going to be thoughtful and um, considerate and um, generous, but I don't like dark chocolate. Do you like dark chocolate? <laughs> I do. And um, you can have the container. Is too. it a teapot? It's just a, like a water vessel. I love it. Okay, sure. I love all of it. Okay, great. Thank um, you, I darling. I think you might even need to wash it out because okay. it probably has <laughs> residual of my tea. All right. Thank you, Good dear. Goodbye. Bye. That was a visit by our lovely neighbor. Neighbor break. Brought me um, chocolate and a water pitcher. Do you see how um, sugar just arrives at my door? Just comes to me. Like, it just is like, oh, you're having problems with sugar? Here is a great quantity of it. In a package that you like. In a flavor that you like. The dog is crying. Our beautiful... Daisy is here straightening out our house while we're in our rooms trying to do this podcast. The dog is crying. He wants in and out. The neighbor that came over is the father of our dog's best friend. So when he hears his voice, he assumes the dog is here. He's not here. He was, however, here a few minutes ago. It's a busy day. It's a busy day at the stack. It's a full life. You know, I'm so grateful. I love the community and I love the activity and it's all uh, yeah. Beautiful. So it's what the well. stack is, yeah. let, let me just say for the people who might not know, is we live in an apartment building where we are friends with five, I think, of the 11 apartments in the building. So there's a lot of going back and forth to each other's 
apartments. Mm -hmm. And we call it the stack because we're all piled up on a stack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question for you is just like, when did you start? I know that we both saw the same hypnotherapist years ago, but my exposure to like shamanic healing or journeying or whatever happened before that but it all but it was for the same reason coincidentally and we were talking about this also so I just want to hear like when you started and what your intention was why you were seeking a person and what you were after a friend of mine made an appointment for me at a hypnotherapist and said we are going to go see this woman because we're going to quit smoking oh and (laughs) I was like uh (laughs) as soon as I start smoking I want to quit smoking I just, I mean, and here's what quitting smoking looks like for me is I don't buy a carton at a time because I'm quitting, but I do buy two packs at a time because I don't want to have to go back to the store tomorrow and I'm going to quit, but I'm going to quit by tomorrow or late tomorrow night. So I buy two packs at a time, but I also have a vape and a, like a jewel and I'm also dipping. I have a can in my pocket or my purse. And so I'm actually doing more nicotine than I've ever done in my life because the reasoning in my brain is I need all these methods because I'm quitting tomorrow. And so it's easier to step down from smoking to vaping. And then uh, the puff bar I just got because it can stick in my pocket and I don't want to smoke. And so I'm going to use the puff bar. But I have a dip so because I can't smoke in meetings or at work. So I put a dip in because I'm also weaning myself off vaping. So I'm like the, this is the plain insanity, right? Like I'm doing more (laughs) nicotine than ever under the guise that I'm quitting. So like I could not get out of that hula hoop. I could not get out of that way of thinking. I was like consuming more nicotine than I ever had in my life that I just always was quitting but I never quit, right? I'm always thinking and talking and this is the last daying, but I never actually get there. And so exerting at, more and more effort, exerting more self will I mean, on it, exerting right. all these different strategies. It's sure, like a sure. dog yeah. running on linoleum is what it looks like. Yeah, right? Try harder. Like I'm just just try harder. And I'm making yeah. no forward momentum. And so I, I, I'm talking to everybody all the time because that's the main thing on my mind is how much I want to quit smoking and here's the plan and here's the method and here's the strategies I've already tried. And it's just a major topic of conversation. And so my friend, who also wanted to quit smoking at the time, made an appointment for us to go see a hypnotherapist. And I had never gone to a hypnotherapist and I did not have a lot of confidence that it was going to work, but I really wanted it to work. So I purposefully did not like Google or Tweakopedia hypnotherapy because I didn't want to debunk it. I didn't want to like figure out the way, the loophole that I was going to have an, I was going to understand it to a point where it took the magic out of it. And I went to a hypnotherapist. We both went. The funny thing about that story is that he was also, he's also like has a hard time showing up on time for things. And so I texted him. I was like, hey, it's an hour until hypnotherapy. And are you going to come pick me up? And he's like, oh, crap. I thought it was at eight and it's at six. I was headed to the gym. I just took a bunch of pre-workout. So he was at hip. And then he well, you came and he, we went to hypnotherapy and he was on pre-workout, which is like a bunch of jangly 
caffeine and like stuff you know supplements that make you like energy, energy booster energizer. or something so oh. he was all like oh. ready to go lift weights people but. do that before a workout oh sure oh yeah i honestly have never heard of that yeah well <laughs> not, it's not recommended for i think we all know i'm not on the cutting edge of the Fit, uh, physical fitness workout technology no <laughs> yeah Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. Pre-workout yeah, is so supposed he, to give you energy mm-hmm. for your workout. And he, he took it okay. right before he went. ended up going to hypnotherapy. So <laughs> I think that was the loophole for him, and it didn't actually work for him. He didn't quit smoking that day. Mm. But I did. I went and saw this hypnotherapy, and I have not smoked since, and that was, I want to say, three or four years ago. Yeah, it feels like a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. My first, the first time I quit smoking using another modality like that was I had a a bunch of my family lives in Spokane and my aunt and my cousin were friends with this person who was a shamanic drummer. And I I think I had expressed to them that I would like to come see him because I was trying to quit smoking and wanted to get drummed on, wanted my energy to get cleared or whatever happens in those sessions and they said yeah great come on over so I went and he is an American person who studied shamanic healing with his mentor who was from Burkina Faso this you know African shaman like in his village or whatever but this person I'm gonna say their name wrong gosh my friend Tenley and I were just talking about this person Melodoma is their first name anyway so i got drummed on so this the person that i know that is the shaman the drummer stands on top of you with the open end of the djembe like on your chest and drums on you for an hour all these different rhythms and all this different stuff and so that's was my first experience of going on a shamanic journey really like conscious you know my consciousness felt like it was somewhere else and I'm in a different place and I'm seeing these images and feeling my I felt like the my body was being subjected to just like a gigantic tuning fork I mean I felt you just your body's vibrating you know to the rhythm of this drum that's right on top of you for an hour and I did quit smoking, and then I also, the next morning, was able to locate something that my aunt had lost in her home, and I just, I knew where it was, and and I, when, when I talked to him before the session, he said, what's your intention here, and I said to quit smoking, and I would also like to just, like, clear out some of the stuff, you know, and that's, I feel like is blocking my intuition or my third eye or whatever, and he's like, great. So it was pretty wild that I woke up the next morning and was able to locate her keys or her cell phone or whatever she had lost and had already scoured the whole house for. So, and I did quit smoking at that time for a period of time, but it came back. So I, you know, became friends with that person and me and my friend started hosting him. He doesn't live in the city that I live in. And so we would start hosting weekends where all of our friends would come and have sessions with him and get drummed on. And so we got to know him pretty well and we got drummed on a lot of times. And that's when I really learned how to go to do a shamanic journey. And then he always at the end of the session would give input about what happened with him during your session, what messages he might receive or what visions he might have seen or something. So it was a really powerful 
very, I felt like it was really transformative for me at that time. And this was so probably 10 years ago, at least, I bet, maybe longer. But so my mind was open to non-ordinary experiences. And then when I went, and then I went to your hypnotherapist, actually, after your experience, years late, years later, after my original experience where I quit smoking, I obviously started smoking again and went to your hypnotherapist, I thought to stop smoking. But it turned out in my session that, like, a bunch of stuff came up in that session that needed to be healed. And she spoke to me in a way of envisioning myself at whatever age I was where I disasso- dissociated. So, and I, and I was able to envision that. And I was able to have a conversation with myself in that scenario, you know, in your living in my living room, and I was five, and I knew the dress I was wearing, and I knew what I looked like when I was five years old. And I felt like that was the like a critical time in my life where I may have shut down, splintered off, dissociated, whatever you want to call it. And it was my first experience with acknowledging myself in the past, and offering some kindness and compassion and love. And like, that's what that hypnotherapist did with me during the session that I thought I had gone to, to quit smoking. And I didn't even cut down. I never even slowed down on smoking. But it did give me the a new pathway or a new kind of road to go yeah, down. And new. that's when those, that idea was first introduced to me. Yeah. And it felt I mean, like it's reparenting. A, it's a soul retrieval, right? Like, it is, right. It's and it's retrieval. what they're calling it now is reparenting. Yeah, or lifespan integration. Yeah, 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 which I've also done. Stuff. Like I've done. So my my experience at the hypnotherapist was a little bit different, but it did the same thing. Like it opened up, like I don't know, a curiosity in me about like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff happening below the surface of my consciousness that that is deciding things for me. The what happened with the hypnotherapist is we go into like a the hypnosis which just feels like deep meditation space right just feels like meditation space so we get into that position and she's like okay i want you with your only with your mind i want you to recreate the feeling that you have right before you smoke like what it feels like to want to smoke like get create that energy in your body and then we're going to talk it up to level 10 and so we're just like amplifying the feeling of I want to smoke degree by degree up to 10 and by about six or seven I'm pissed like I am so angry with her and and I'm like snapping at her and saying this is stupid and I don't want to do this anymore and and she's just like keeps it going up to 10 and and she's like um, now that we're at 10, I, I want to tell you that I did like bring a baseball bat and a heavyweight bag that was on the floor. And she's like, you're welcome to go use that baseball bat and hit the bag. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm that mad. And I'm I'm with my friend and I'm, I have like two senses, like I'm kind of embarrassed to be doing this, but I'm also like, I'm going to go all the way in on this experience, right? Like, why not? Right. Yeah. I'm going to go all the way in. So I'm beating on the bag with a baseball bat, and I'm yelling at it and calling it names. And and then she's like, okay, then let's talk it back down. And we're, we talk that <laughs> feeling back down. Dial it down, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, like, got to be fully expressed. And 
And then she dials it back down and we get to about a four. I can't get lower than a four at that point. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, I want, I want to ask you like, what, what did you feel? What was the feeling? And I was like, it was plainly rage. Like I was very angry, obviously. And she's like, well, I want you to, I want you to recognize that we did all of that with your mind right? Cigarettes weren't involved in any of that. It, it wasn't about cigarettes. It was all about like you created that in your mind. And when it got to be fully expressed, it was actually a valid feeling. It was this feeling of rage. And she's like, you have associated rage with smoking. And when rage bubbles up, you smoke it back down. And it bubbles back up and you smoke it back down. And what do you think would happen if you just let it be? And you didn't suppress it and you didn't ask it to leave and you just like let it exist. And I mean, my fear was that I will murder someone, right? I'm going to kill people or like I'm never going to, it's never going to change. I'm just going to be an angry person. And I, I didn't know what I was so angry about, but I just knew that I was real, that I, that that was the feeling. And so the guy who ended up being Dallas's husband, my daughter's husband, volunteered that weekend to be the target of my rage like he was just like yeah just be mad at me just like be angry at me until it leaves and so I was just kind of nasty to him all weekend like I was just teasing him in a real mean way and was like just (laughs) being irritated at him and and I just like like, if you let me do this then I might let you marry my daughter exactly exactly Also, like, it convinced me that he was And a you'll good, get used to be. He's a good you'll person. You'll get used to so yeah. much from my family being <laughs> you'll, you'll get used to how we are. <laughs> but, yeah, that's um, what happened. And so I was just kind of shitty to him for a weekend. And what happened is the rage moved pa- through me. It just, it just, like, metabolized. I just felt what it was, and it metabolized, and it was gone. And I didn't want to smoke. And after that weekend, I didn't want to smoke anymore. And so it really opened me up to this idea that, like, oh, crap, I thought it was about smoking. And really what it was is about, like, these unexpressed, subterranean, ignored, abandoned feelings that I refused to let happen. And probably within a year after that, I started going to therapy. Hmm. And I had a bunch more. I had a bunch more experiences like that that led us to, that led us to, reading that first book about shamanism Mm -hmm. right and you know the last person I was in a relationship with a romantic relationship was a chain smoker like I have never seen in my life before honestly like you know how you hear the thing about people wake up in the morning and they have a cup of coffee and a cigarette he would have four in a row like light them off each other first thing in the morning and so it occurred to me like wow this person's neuro whatever system is saturated with nicotine and chemicals 24 7 like the the entire time that he his eyes are open during the day and just like what I mean based on your experience and like how it occurred for you like why you're smoking I mean wow that's pretty wild if we applied that to that person although I I don't want to be prescriptive in that way but But then also when you realize what happens to your body 
chemically when you are ingesting right. nicotine, like all of the shit that's firing, all the endorphins, all the serotonin or all the cortisol or whatever's happened, whatever nicotine does to your body and your heart rate and your everything, everything, everything. So to to be using cigarettes to kind of regulate to that extent was wild. It was wild to watch and just like to really like know that this person really believes that they cannot function or live life in a way that they are not smoking the entire time they're awake, which is very limiting for what you are going to do throughout the day. Like you can't do any activities that don't involve you being able to have a cigarette in your hand at all times. So we could never go to the movies. We never went to museums. Like we never did anything indoors or whatever where he couldn't be smoking all the time, which is kind of reminiscent of my mom. Like my mom has smoked like that at times in her life. Not quite that many probably as far as like cigarette count, but limiting your life to the extent that you can only do activities that you can smoke 24-7. I think we have this... um this metaphor of like body, mind, and spirit being different things. And in AA, we use that triangle to represent body, mind, and spirit. And that, but we, I think we look over this idea that it, that there's a circle around it, that this, that this is it, the unity of those things, that those are all encased in the same right. avatar, yeah. right? They're all there's part no separation. of me. There is yeah. no real separation. And, and it gets, like it it feels sad for me to me for that guy of like well you're like nicotine is this poison it has all these like very harmful effects on your body we all know that but also like what is it suppressing spiritually what is it treating in your emotional body and it is, yes, a physical addiction, but it's also this, emo- like, which one comes first and does it matter to isolate and, like, which one is the driver of that behavior? And, like, how do you treat all of them at the same time when you pull someone out of that kind of, it's like, yeah, it's a physical addiction. And the physical addiction is over in about three days. But if if you believe, like, if I don't have this, I'm going to die, like, it's three days are impossible. It's like how do yeah. you get how do yeah. you get someone from there to somewhere else? And and I was that guy. I mean, I didn't smoke four in the morning, but I smoked two. And I remember like one of the m- most heartbreaking reasons that I wanted to quit is I always wished that whatever was happening was over so we could go smoke. Right? right. If I'm in a movie, I can't wait for it to, to be over. If I'm in a meeting, I can't wait for it to be over. If we're out to dinner, all I'm doing is thinking about when we walk out so I can smoke. Right? I just wanted wherever we were to be done so I could go smoke. Mm-hmm. Right? If we had been able to smoke inside, I would have been a light one off the other person. But it's like, how do you, how do you go from that to not that? You know? Like... With the mind that's addled with the drugs, with the emotional damage (laughs) that's treated by the drugs, with the, you know, with the spiritual illness that can't stand life without it, right? Like, sobriety is a miracle. Especially when you get sober. Yeah, I mean, especially when you take away, like, all of the other chemicals. Well, remember, I hadn't hadn't smoked in 20 years when I started smoking. You and Dow brought me (laughs) cigarettes. Remember? Like, I I hadn't (laughs) smoked. (laughs) Guilty as charged. 
But it's like, that's the last vestige of that trying to wrest satisfaction or get some ease and comfort out of something, you know, like, that's the last thing that you're just like clinging on to. Like, if I don't have this, then I have no comfort. I have no comfort. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's accidental that soon after I quit smoking, I was in therapy, right? Because whatever I was smoking down was coming up, you know, it was coming up. Mm hmm. And then my ther, you know, my therapist was like, she's a shaman. I didn't know it at the time, but she is. And and we had we did this PTSD trauma therapy with EMDR and lifespan integration that that I had profound experiences with. And what she later told me when we started doing shamanic work is that that. EMDR and um, lifespan integration were just kind of modern names for tools that shamans had been using to heal people, which was like soul retrieval and uh, spirit animal quests and, you know, that kind of stuff is ancient therapy, you Mm -hmm. know. And if every continent in the world has drums, wherever there are humans, they created drums and I, I believe it is because that is how you treat. That is how, that is is ancient therapy. That is these like very specific tools that are used to treat trauma. In the non-ordinary reality. Well, EMDR is, a, is about beats, right? It's about left side, right side, left side, right side, which that is drumming too, right? Like I believe that drumming is EMDR. Yeah. And then, so when I moved in here last summer, not the one that is just ending now, but the one before, and we were having these discussions, and we both had been exploring this stuff, not really knowing necessarily that that the other person was doing it. And then one night we were like, oh, well, let's let's listen to some drumming. Let's do some, let's learn how to do shamanic stuff on our own. And so you had, did you have some books or did you buy those um, books at that time? Rachel A gave me a, gave me a book. She's like, I think this is a book you'd be into. Well, I Mm -hmm. picked it up at her house and she's like, I think that book is yours. Like take it home with you. And so it was a book about South American style shamanism. Mm. And we, Mm -hmm. I started reading it to you. And then mm-hmm. I think that first night we're like, let's give it a try. Let's listen to some drums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got a like YouTube video and put it on the big screen and laid on, on, on the ground. Do you remember the name of the one that we liked the most? Was it like a woman? Yeah, it is. It was a woman? Yes. I can't remember. I can't names. remember. I can't we remember. could put it in the show notes or something. We can get yeah. a link. So the only requirement or the important thing is, is to get the right amount of like beats per... 220 to 240 beats per minute. Beats per minute. 220 to 240 because that's the theta... State, the brain waves. State for the brain waves. Right. So I feel like we tried a lot of different drum sources like you know whatever you can find on youtube there's a ton of stuff a ton of stuff on there different styles different songs different whatever in this format of how many beats per but we found 
one that we liked the best that was by a woman. It's a lot faster than you would think, right? When you think of drumming, it's, very it's fast. pretty yeah. fast. So then after we had done this, I think we had done it, you know, a handful of times. We we usually do a debrief afterwards, like, well, what happened for you during that or whatever? And there was one where you just popped up and said, I think that we have to get drums. And I think we have to start drumming ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't see, I don't see us doing that. Mm-hmm. And then the next time that we listen to some drums and we're in meditation or shamanic journey or whatever you want to call it my whole time I saw myself playing a drum and I was like okay let's go get some drums Mm -hmm. let's now we're going to be those people we're going to be you know doing drum circles playing hacky sack at bumper (laughs) shoot or whatever like I was just like they didn't have a good rap in my mind (laughs) the idea of a drum circle Mm -mm. No, I've always been way too cool for that, way too self-conscious, oh, way God. too... It's, now like, I see it. I mean, I used to think it was, like, cool and aloof, and now I just see it as, like, such a stick up your butt. Like, so, uh, like, yeah. you know, yeah. The, what do they call it? The Herbert Spencer quote, the... Yeah. You know the one we're I We're not mean. afraid. Yeah, we're not afraid that we're... Wait, I got to look and re- I got to read it real quick. Um, oh, contempt prior to investigation. Oh, contempt prior to investigation. So I just I think it's stupid before I do it. Right? I'm just yeah, like, oh, I don't do that because that's stupid. Because the people that do that are like white people with dreadlocks yes. and yeah. not my, yeah, and I'm corny. cool. I'm right. too I'm cool too for cool. that. Yeah, they're corny. They're yeah, corny. They're just, it's they're dumb. Hippies. Yeah. yeah. I remember we walked into the trading musician and you're like, we're hippies and we're here to buy drums. It's like, <laughs> she's, we're going you're all like, in. I'm, you're like, I don't know her. I'm not <laughs> with her. Yeah. So we went and picked out our drums at the trading musician. And then we kind of already had the idea of what we were going to like the, the, the beat that we wanted and what we were going to do. So we just started hitting these drums. We just started sitting in our living room, hitting these drums. We'd set a timer on the phone for pretty short amounts of time, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, or whatever. It's not a super long time, but when you're drumming and trying to keep a consistent beat, like, I have a new respect for drummers, let me just say that. I've always been a fan of drummers, but now I really am just like, wow. Have you? (laughs) Yes, sadly, yeah. And... And realizing that it's harder for me personally to go to to leave and go to a non-ordinary place when I'm focusing on drumming at the yeah, same yeah. time. So I we always figured like, well, we'll build that muscle as we go. It's just practice. It's just a matter of practicing, practicing, practicing. So over time, I, I was I am able to go somewhere sometimes, but a lot of times when I'm not, I just employ a mantra. Yeah. With every beat, I just say a word or a series of words or whatever. And that's just really, that's just as fulfilling to me as having some wild trip where I'm floating through space carrying uh, myself as a child or whatever happens on those journeys or dancing around a fire on a beach, which has been a typical scenario that I've seen that sometimes I can't get there. I can't conjure it and I can't go there and play drums at the same time, but I can always employ a mantra and I often am just like light and love, light and love or whatever it is in, in that moment or just some kind of prayer or some kind of mantra for myself or for you or for humanity or for someone who's passed recently that we know or whatever. So it's always 
it's always a worthwhile experience, but I can never really go into it knowing what it's going to be. No, no, I can't. I mean, that. I think my experience was that as soon as we started listening to drums, even on YouTube, before we were playing drums, is I was... I was just in another world as soon as, I mean, it's, this is like the most personal stuff I could talk about, right? It's like what mm -hmm. happens yeah. there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I started having like wild visions and like tutorials, man. The first few, I was like learning about how that world worked. And I mm -hmm. remember like, oh, there are three worlds over there. There's the uh, upper world, the middle world, and the lower world. And I got a kind of a tour of how you get to all of them. And I, <laughs> oh, that's uh, right. yeah, I got like how these like energy portals connect people to people or people to animals and what those look like and how those functioned and how you could operate them and what you could use them for. And I got, um, you know, like introduced to this tree of life idea and introduced you got to spiritual. like the data, you got like the data scientist download. I got a like major download going on over there. Yeah, I, I, I could have drawn a map after the first three or four times we did it. I was like, I know what the non ordinary world looks like and how you move around in there. Well, and the beautiful thing about you is that being an artist, you were able to, like a lot of times after we would do a session, you would start a drawing, you would start an art piece that reflected what you saw or what you learned in on that journey. And like, what a cool way to document, like what, what you're learning as you go and to have that even just like on your iPad, or, you know, you make it into an actual painting or whatever. And a lot of the imagery you've been able to really preserve in like in a journaling, you know, recording in a historical way, what has been happening to you along the way, yeah. which is really cool. Like yeah. that's always been something like really that I've always really been, as we know, very like measuring myself against like, oh, well, Janet gets to, Janet can draw a picture after every time she does it. I can't even remember what happened. I couldn't even go anywhere this time. Like judging my experience Christmas against cookies. your experience. Christmas cookies. Figuring that I'm less than, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not as special or I'm not as whatever. And just like that whole thing which is such a weird thing to do to like my ego trying to do to myself because you aren't doing that to me like you don't have that bone in your body you don't have that like I'm better than Carrie or I'm better than anyone for that matter it's just like I'm just doing this because this is what I do and I'm over here like oh I should be able to do what she does and I can't and then putting a value on that as my experiences aren't as credible or valuable or as interesting or whatever like that like that judgment of self based on someone else's thing which you know we talk about a lot in AA judging our insides by someone else's outsides and, rah, rah, rah. and that shit that I do to myself I've been working on that as you know since our Christmas party last yeah. year in December yeah. so I know it's not coming from you I know it's not coming from outside of myself and I think 
you know, I still gr- I still grapple with that, just like that self-evaluation that is not accurate and it's not helpful. It's not productive. It doesn't serve any purpose in any way. So I know it's coming from ego. I know it's coming from fear and it's bullshit. And I just try to stick it on a cloud and let it yeah, float right, by, right. you know. You just witness it. Like, oh, there she is. Yeah. There she is again. There she is. Yeah. There's that little kid yeah. who, you know, was the new kid in school and felt like they didn't have any friends right. or whatever. Yeah. It's all that just old garbage. Yeah. I mean, and that, like, that, is, that yeah. is the same stuff, right? It is the yeah. same stuff that I'm coming back with in a different way. Like, it's downloaded to you. It's transmitted to you in a different way, which is beautiful because I don't, I don't have the experiences that you have, but you get to come back from your your journeys or your um you know transformations with information that is also valuable to me right of like oh right. this is yeah. what's happening like comparing like this 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 it, it default like predilection to compare you know that i am right. not good my sponsee this morning told me something that it like basically made me swallow my gum she said <laughs> she said be careful how you talk to yourself because your cells are listening yeah and i was like well yeah. i mean that that is really a cool sentiment when you think about the connection between body mind and spirit of like what is it psychosomatic that your mind can make you sick but that's actually true right and sure. vice versa well, then, you know, if we drill down on that, where does this negative self-talk come from? Where did it, where does it, where did it begin? Like, did it come, did it ever come from outside of me? Or did, was, did it just manifest inside based on, you Stories know, the, of a, sel- a the selfishness of survival? Yeah. yeah, the selfishness of well having to metabolize trauma in a way that I needed to survive. And so all I could think about was myself and my survival or whatever. However, that works when your ego becomes yeah. out of whack. I think the, the way that I think of it that's helpful to me is like when can you remember a time where you first thought that, that I'm not as good as they are or I, I'm like – not as talented like when when can you remember first believing that and what was sort of going on in your life at that time because mm-hmm. i i mean i you know i have this belief of that we have these chakras that are recording devices and that yeah. like they are your the hard drive of your different right your different energy systems and at some point, yours recorded something that you were not good enough. And that that's just the, like that's just in the memory bank. That's just something that you've held on to as, a, as the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's not true, but the wound is there. Right. Of course. And it could be something that was very benign at the time, but your little tiny child mind and ego and filter twisted it just enough just that little dutch angle or whatever it's called where it became about me whether i didn't get something i wanted or someone said something that was meant to not have any meaning and i gave it meaning or if someone directly said to me someone in power in my life a teacher a parent a a friend's parent said something derogatory to me 
that was intended for me and I internalized it, even if it was something functional, like take, please take your shoes off when you come in our house. I might have been in such a state of fight or flight or whatever as a, it, at that moment in my life where something functional could be taken personally and then turned into, I'm so dumb, I didn't take my, sh- or they hate me now right. because I didn't take my shoes off when I came in their house or whatever, yeah. like all those twisted up, mucked up perceptions and throw that into some fight or flight state of being. Well, I think also like when it's young and when you have the kind of parents that you and I both had. Don't talk to you. Don't talk to you about emotional or like don't express any vulnerability. I think kids tend to fill in the blanks, right? Like if I'm not, if you're not telling, I will make up a story to make the way I feel make sense and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but it's true for me. My stories tend to be about me being excluded. I tend to write stories about how I'm not a part of, that I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. that they are not going to like me, that that if they really knew me, they'd kick me out, right? Like that, that is just tends to be the stories that I write. And so if you don't give me the information, if you don't say like, I asked you to take your shoes off. I have to remind everybody. Like, it wasn't just you singled out. Like, I have to tell that to everybody. And it's because I have these new white carpets. It doesn't have anything to do with you personally. And I'm really sorry if I made you feel weird. Right? If you don't give me that, I'm going to write a story. And it's going to be about you think that I'm stupid. And I'm not Mm -hmm. good enough. And you don't want me in your house anyway. That's just going to be. And so I had parents that didn't talk. I mean, Atheist scientists that didn't talk to me. And so I filled in a lot of blanks with stories of separation. I mean, that's the, like, that's the, that's a big damage that comes from neglect, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that we hear a lot in, that I've heard a lot in 12 Step Recovery is people talk about that, about that sentiment or that feeling or whatever it is, but in a very vague way, like a very nonspecific way. Like I just felt like I didn't belong. And when I started to drink or use, I felt like I belonged. And so that's always been a theme that we've always heard about, but to really drill down into that, like what we're talking about right now, actually, and figure out why, like, why did so many human beings feel like they were, they didn't belong here? Why did so many human beings why do we hear the same thing over and over, you know, infinity about people feeling like aliens, people feeling like they didn't belong? And I think I, it would be interesting to know if if this is their same story. Like as as children, if they didn't have an adult to to mitigate information or to disseminate informa- accurate information or to talk through, you know, stuff like that, and then you just always feel like an alien you just always feel like you don't belong because there's no inter- connection there's no interaction or connection with any adults who have a different perspective or have the inf- the actual information that we're having to make up yeah. as little kids well, I, I do a call back to the bell hooks book all about love right of yeah that we that all families maybe i mean i think the the problem with like us comparing this story to other people in aa stories there's an instant filter, which is these are all people who have questions about alcohol use, right? And so yeah, right. people who tend to abuse alcohol and end up with questions about alcohol abuse might all have that, like, I felt like an alien. I felt like I didn't belong. I don't know really what people outside of AA, th- ha- if they have that or not, because they don't talk mm-hmm. about it, like, in an open situation yeah. like we do. 
So, but I, but I, bell hooks would say that you grew up with some ingredients, right? But not all of them. And it takes all of them. And then I started, you know, drawing this connection. I don't know if it's real or if it's just uh, makes sense to me, but there are like these seven ingredients to love and there are these seven chakras. And I think like a missing piece of each of those could damage a chakra for, of a young person at a different, in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if the, your base chakra, your root chakra, the, the bottom one is about like, I have a right to be here, but mm -hmm. if someone doesn't care for me, right. Or doesn't recognize me that right gets pretty damaged. Like I have a right to be here, except I don't have any evidence that people want me here or I don't, mm -hmm. you know, so I think like different, different missing ingredients can damage different parts of your internals. Yeah. And then you're, and then you're, and you have so much conflict because those are such conflicting things happening at the same time. Like I have a right to be here. I have value, but nobody else thinks so. So then those two things start to exist together and then they're all right. <laughs> and there's that tension. How do you navigate? And yeah. I have to write a story that makes that make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to make that make sense. Yeah. And so my story, some of my stories early is like I had to lie and tell you that I was different than I am. And not only like a manufactured lie, but I also wouldn't share how I felt, how what I did like, the things that I wanted to do, because that was too risky because you might say no or you might say that's bad or that's wrong. So not only am I like outwardly a lie, liar, but I also won't tell the truth. And not like if you ask me and, you know, nowadays I'm much better, but you, you like you could trust me to watch your house. You can trust me to run your cash register, honestly. But if you ask, how do you feel about our relationship? Right. Like that would have been a very much difficult conversation. Right. That's I can't be honest there. Because of because it's not worth the risk, because in my family of origin, that was not honored. That was not we didn't talk about anything like that. So nowadays, I'm like I have nothing to lose. I have nothing right. left to lose. So yeah. you know what does what does God want me to be? Well, me. And so what is that? What what? And telling people the vulnerable part is is part of being me. I have nothing left to lose. That same thing happened to me in a, in a different way of not being, so, so what happens is, so you're creating a persona for so long that you lose touch with who you really are and you're not, you know, nurturing who you really are. You're trying to just like create this persona to whatever. So when I, Every time I moved to a new school, which was often like twice a year through my whole, I would walk into the school and really have this conscious thought or this like uh, process of deciding who I was going to be at this school. Mm. Like, who am it's I like going to be in hotels? That's me in hotels. Right. I'm going to be the quiet, like, studious. I'm going to get good grades at this school. And then I'd go to the next school. I'm like, who am I going to be at this school? Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be athletic or social or outgoing. Or I'm going to try to, or I'm going to be the stoner at this school. Or I'm going to be the whatever. Like, I would always create a persona 
that was the safest place for me to fit in. And this is from like a, a second, third, fourth, fifth grader, you know, like trying to figure out as a kid, like, where's the safest place for me to fit in and right. the structure and so, of this class? So think about none of those are really like, well, who, actually, who am I? It's all about no. who do I have to be in order to get my needs met right. in this situation? Yeah. It's all about getting and needs for met. me. Right. And it was like to either fly under the radar and not bring any attention to myself or get the most attention or... You know what I mean? It was always just like, wh- however I'm going to fit right. into this framework to f- to just fit in, first and foremost. And then secondly, to get whatever I'm trying to get out of the situation f- based on I'm not, I'm not sure what. So then I always thought that moving around a lot made me, it gave me some skills. It made me very adaptable. It made me able to whatever, you know, to m- move through different scenarios in life a little bit more easily it caused me to not attach to people or things or places or whatever because I was going to just move anyway I saw these things as beneficial (laughs) attributes and they were they were they were maybe partially yeah but but mostly what happened to me was I just was detached blocked from myself detached dissociated and not I didn't learn how to form attachment, which you have to have a little bit of attachment. I mean, attachment is weird because, you know, but it did a lot of weird stuff to me. And I think I still, even now, I get antsy. You know, I've lived somewhere for a year and I just have this internal clock that goes off that's just like, it's time to go. It's time to move. Like, you gotta, you can't stay in the same place for too long. Yeah, it's what you're used to. Yeah, it's done a bunch of stuff. But the so then when I had a kid, I thought it was really important to keep him in the same place throughout school because my experience was so, I felt like just so chaotic and so disruptive for me emotionally. And we lived far away from our dad a lot, which was really hard for us as little kids, my brother and I. And so I made a deal with myself and made a deal with my son's dad that we would keep him in the same school district for his whole life and in the same neighborhood so he could have those friendships and the teachers and the schools and stuff. But when I would talk to my son when he was a kid, he was like, let's move. I hate it here. I don't want to be here. And I'm like, well, but no, you need to stay in the same place for your whole childhood. He's like, why? I want to go. I hate it. Let's move to California. You know, he was the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who knows, you know? I mean, he he felt safe and secure enough, I guess, that he w- didn't need to attach to his school or his friends or whatever, even though he was, of course. And he did stay in the same place for most, most of the time. But it's weird how I projected that onto his life, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world to do, to keep your kid in the same school district no. their whole no career i mean i i think it's like it happens more often than not it's the luxury of that stability that gave him the idea that it could be different sure like oh i don't have to stay here but i but that's kind of like a luxury that he got because he didn't move a lot so it's like you gave him the option you gave him the safety to have a to have a choice about it right i think there is a lot to say about just so Just as a reminder, here's the ingredients. So Bell Hook says, to truly love, we must learn to mix various ingredients. Care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, 
and trust, as well as honest and open communication. So the seven ingredients, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, trust, and honest, open communication. And so I think, you know, when we're, we were at least like aware enough that, like, I know that me moving a lot had impact on me as a young person. And so I'm going to stay, I'm going to try to not do that to my son. It's like you became, we are like uh, the trauma sink, right? Like I'm going to absorb it mm-hmm. all and not pass it on as best as we can. I'm sure we're not perfect at it. And I'm not saying that n- none of our kids have, have right. sure, sure. Tr- significant yeah. trauma events. Um but I do not believe that my parents had that same conscious thought of like I am not going to do to them what was done to me. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think I I feel like I can confidently say that trauma is everyone's going to ex- experience it. I think every human being on the planet is going to have traumatic life experiences i mean is that true i mean life is everybody knows people that, pretty traumatic yeah like, i mean being born is pretty traumatic right yeah, like it looks it, yeah usually that is a could be an event that is that could be labeled that but everybody knows people but there's who have died. heartbreak there's, yeah there's right. heartbreak there's disappointment there's death there's grief there's loss your family pet dies yeah. your family pet yeah, runs you, away like a boy that you like store. like someone else yeah. right of course yeah. yeah or my yeah my bike got stolen right. or horse. someone punched me in the face yeah right yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. my horse bit me really hard yeah. i don't think there's anyone walking through life without trauma now to the to the point where they have like chronic PTSD like I had have right. like I don't know about that. Sure. But yeah, everybody yeah. has. I mean, my mom would talk about one of hers where she um she was an ice skater and she she got her hand slammed in the door of the ice rink and broke every finger in her hand. Ow. And she remembers like taking off her mitten and seeing what her hand looked like and you know, she was like five or six or seven or eight years old. And she would turn white talking about it. Right? Like, so, you know, times where you've been hurt real badly physically or mentally or emotionally or like that, that all counts. And I mean, think of it, if you're thinking of your chakras as like they're recording your life and something like that happens and it just puts like a, like a, big blip of tension and fear and like a massive spike of cortisol and adrenaline and and then like the next time you go to the ice rink it hits that same patch right it hits that same scratch on the disc same skip in the cd right and you're like i don't like ice skating and as a matter of fact, I don't like the city where I learned to ice skate. And as a matter of fact, I don't like the color purple because I was wearing it when I was ice skating. Or or who knows, like, where that spider webs out to. But I think what I found when starting to pull on those kind of strings is I wanted to know where those were. And where where are those yeah. little scratches on my record, on my records that, like, 
make me think I don't like ice skating or make me think it's not safe to tell the truth about what I want to do or make me think it's, you know, I better tell you a story about who I am that isn't true or or that make me think I I need to be high to be okay. Right? Like, well, I want to know what those are. Where the, where does, what is the etym, the etiology of these things? Where do they come from? Mm -hmm. Right. And to, again, take the power away from those things, continuing to drive my behavior or make decisions for me against my will, against my conscious will, like these ancient artifacts, Mm -hmm. you know, driving the bus instead of. It's like all this armor. I'm just tired of wearing all this armor because that. It doesn't make sense anymore. Like, I don't need no. it anymore. I don't need right. it. And I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to have this hardened heart. Yeah. And I think that people, I, I think people get to this point in their life. It must be when enough healing or enough restorative self has come into play that you feel safe enough to just to turn and face this stuff and just be like, I'm not running away from this monster anymore. And it's not even a fucking monster. I'm going to face it. And I'm going to have a guide or Sherpa or whatever help me just like crumble, you know, just like peck away at this at at this wall or at these bricks or whatever, and just start to kind of move that shit out of the way. So I can just live in peace and contentment and receive love, give love, feel kindness, feel compassion, feel connected to humanity and to heal this stuff. But it's like, it's so wild how it's just like this cycle of, I'm afraid to look at that stuff because it's going to be so terrible. It's going to prove what a terrible person I am. All my worst fears are going to are going to be actualized when I look go look inward at this stuff. It's going to turn out I'm such a bad person, which is why I've had all this kind of undistasteful behavior or whatever you want to call it character defects is what we call it in AA but it's wild how that fear of looking at that stuff stops people from looking at it it but also I I do believe yeah I do believe that a certain amount of healing has to occur before given the protect the feeling of safety and protection of looking at it like you know we've gone I've gone through the steps many many times done inventories looked at my stuff whatever whatever but then moving into this phase of life or healing or recovery or whatever you want to call it and getting down to this stuff seems like so transformative, so foundationally transformative. I feel so much different and so much more at peace than I've ever felt in my life. And so now looking at it and looking at my life now at this age, at age 54, with 22 years sober, it's just like, wow, I never dreamed that I would care to or be able to talk about this stuff or have these kinds of conversations or be in such reality about reality or truth about myself or about and just really the release of the the stress of the guilt or the shame of any of my past or have have displayed these behaviors in life or having bouts of ego flaring back up and having behavior that I get to continue to look at and learn from and grow through or heal from or whatever. It's just such a wild Mm -hmm. thing that's happening so much above and beyond not using heroin. You know what I mean? It's like starting, starting there at square one of like, 
I'm trying very hard to not use heroin today. And then now here we are today, all these, you know, 150 years later, Mm -hmm. getting to this level of truth, hopefully, truth, right? I mean, mean, that's all it is. Bottles were a symbol, right? My problem isn't alcohol. My problem is why do I think I need to use alcohol to be okay? And Mm -hmm. I mean, the motivator for me nowadays is I want to be the person, I want to be a person that can demonstrate care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, trust, and honest and open communication, right? I want to be a giver of that. And so I got to figure out where the, where the breaks are. Why do I feel like I can do this one, but not that one? Or because I want to be a giver of all the ingredients of love to my kids, to you, to my boyfriend, to the, my community. Like, I don't want to be... Peludo. To, to peludo. To, to baby nibbles. Right? I want to be an expression right. of, of all the right. ingredients of love. And um, Why? Because why, why that, not, man? Because I'm only going to do this once, you right. know? Because that's what life that's, that's what, what it's life about. is. That's, that's what it the meaning be. of life right there to me. Right. That's the meaning of life to me right there. Because if I can participate in life in that state and coming from that place, the miracles a, and the gifts that come world. back. Right. It's right. What a beautiful yeah. place to live. What a beautiful right. place to live. If I I mean, I feel like I would feel my life was complete if my kids knew to like the depths of every part of them that that I that they could answer yes my mom demonstrated all of those things to me right, right. that that's my additionally like if you knew that if my boyfriend knew that if my community knew that if my employer knew that right if everybody knew that she did that she was just pure love you know, that, that that's yeah. my goal. That's the goal. I of think life. that's I mean, I think that's enlightenment. That is enlightenment. That is fully self-realized, enlightened, awakened human being. You know, that's like the the holy grail yeah. of this experience. Yeah. And it's it's easy to say and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful ideal. Mm-hmm. And But I will say, since I've been doing this, you know, the last couple years, let's say, I do feel good. I will say that there are, I can't even remember the last time I had what you would call a bad day. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. And it used to be, if I had a bad moment, I would expand that into a bad day and everybody was going to suffer for it. Like, if I'm feeling something, there's no way I'm being nice. There's no way I'm being kind. There's no way I'm smiling or letting anyone off the hook or whatever. It was just like that. I, I feel like I suffered a lot in sobriety of having a bad day. And now at the end of my days, I, I don't have bad days. I mean, I hate to even say that out loud because I feel like I'm going to have a bad day. <laughs> There's, I just feel a different type of freedom. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm free from that anger and that rage and just like that raw shit that you were talking about, about the smoking, smoking it down. And I lived in that in sobriety for a long time. And I did the best I could, you know, with what I had at the time with, and thank God I 
thank God that I did the steps at least mm-hmm. so I could stay sober right. long enough right. for it to, happen. to get past right. that phase. Yeah. And I will tell you, and I hate to say this, it took me a lot of years to get past that. And I wouldn't, I, I hate to say that to new people or whatever, but it was a grind, you know, for, for a long time to, to break through all of that just, you know, quote unquote, protective shit. And that's why people that have known me a long time say, like, well, God, you've really changed a lot. I've really noticed in the last couple of years, like, you seem really different. Something's changed. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm healing. Yeah. I've, heal- I've healed. I, I'm doing I feel healing like, shit. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't ready to hear it. But I didn't. I don't feel like I heard a lot of people talking about this kind of stuff that would could have mentored me. But I, Maybe I just had to find my own way, and maybe that's fine. Um, but I didn't have any mentors or sponsors that were talking about this level of stuff. And so I would say, like, I don't think this is a function of I went through the steps enough times, and I um, I think a person with young recovery could start looking at it at this level right. with the right mentor yeah. and right sponsor and right Sherpa to help them walk through it. Like there isn't, it, this isn't not accessible to, you have to be 50 X years old and right have X many years of sobriety. I don't think that's true. I think you got to have someone willing to like show you the mirror, you know, like this is right. Because really that's an act. That's an act of kindness to give someone more information. Like, well, maybe these behaviors happen because here's what, here's, you know, what I believe about myself. Mm-hmm. I was in these situations and this yeah. is, you know, how it manifested yeah. itself and how it grew or whatever. So to share our story, our experience and our stories of how we got here today with someone who is brand new sober is of course going to be helpful and beneficial. And yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. Like it doesn't, it's not a matter of how long you've been trying or whatever. It's just like having the right support and tools and guide at any stage in the game I guess but in my mind for some reason I just felt like it well I mean well it did it had to happen how it happened because that's how it happened but I don't think we had any real I mean my therapist my sponsor you my naturopath right those of all those are all important Sherpas that I have had in in coming to where I am but and it's funny how like you start you start down this kind of you know you take a couple steps and then all this shit starts to just get put in the path on the steps along the way. It's like I don't have to even figure out how to do it. I just have to be willing to take the first couple steps down this path and then it presents itself in just in in such an organic beautiful way that it's not it's not um scary right it's not fearful because it's just so the people in our in our lives in those ways are so kind and so evolved and so compassionate that you just feel so i just feel so supported yeah. and so I, loved I mean i have a core belief this. that the universe improves everything right and that like what my it's conspiring in your favor right and if you're if you can see the path it's yours to travel Right. Like and the, the universe will be there and your spirit guides and your ancestors and your the people that have passed that loved you are there are like in another room of, in the house, like preparing everything for your transformation, preparing everything for your involvement and what you got to be willing to do. What I have to be willing to do is to walk into the areas that I don't know yet. 
I don't know right. what it looks like there. Yeah. I don't know what don't that's going to yeah. feel like. I don't know, but I'm going to trust that the energy is conspiring in my favor. And there's no judgment of it. Like, yeah, I was I was very fearful and d- driven by ego, and I probably alienated some people and shut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit because that was my protection mechanism and my survival skills or whatever. There's no, no shame yeah, No, that. I understand it. I know why I and did that. And it's like that's been a big unlock for me to because I've always been given a lot of shit for being like that from like my friends or people that were trying to date me or whatever just like oh she's so whatever whatever yeah I always hated that by the way I always hated that 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 people would I because I never saw you that way right like I'm 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 so like hard shell or Carrie's not feeling or Carrie's a robot yeah yeah I got that a lot Stepford so I always looked at that as a defect, that a deficiency, you know, and something that was wrong with me. And now I don't see it that way. I see it as those were things that I needed to keep me alive for a period of time, and they did. And once I stopped judging myself about those things, then I could really get honest about it. Like when I'm talking to my therapist or when I'm talking to people about those, whatever you want to call them, and say like, you know, when I'm in that place of talking about it, like, yeah, I have these feelings of that, you know, everyone hates me. I don't know where that, I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. I don't want it anymore. It's not useful. It's not productive. But it came up in this, you know, decorating Christmas cookies with Janet when I decided that everyone hates me. So it still is there. And the only way that I'm going to be able to address it and and to try to eradicate it is to to face it yeah, and to right. talk about it and to look at it, shine a light on right, it, and shine a light like, in the darkness. Especially yeah. that you shared it with me of like making Christmas cookies with you makes me feel <laughs> less than. Yeah. And I was because you could see the like, I'm going to give you that piece of vulnerability. You shared that like little piece of your heart with me. And hopefully what I reflected back is, oh, my God, I would never want to make you feel that way. I would oh, never course, make yeah. it right. And so then like we're building these experiences of like I was vulnerable and the person that I was vulnerable with like honored it, didn't make fun of it, didn't slam the door on it, didn't deny that it was true, didn't say that it was my fault, said, oh, my God, I would never want you to feel that way with me. That right. is not, I am so sad that that was your experience of Christmas cookies. It, it <laughs> I will do whatever, right? Like that you can give that, like it's all because we have to test this like slowly with trusted people, right? Is it safe for me to be like this? Is it safe for me to tell you this? And then we build these examples of, yes, that is safe. That's safe. That's safe. So then when it comes to like telling someone how I feel about whatever, like I can, right. I am. I have seen that. I have evidence that, like, oh, I can be honest, and someone could appreciate that instead of being right. A reality. It's, practice. It's, it's practice. practice. it's practice. It's practice. Yeah, it is practice. Everything, like every step of the way of this, of you know, boundaries or speaking truth or talking about trusting people with you know information about ourselves. That's whatever. It's all practice. Like, no one is going to know. Like, no one, a person like me is not going to know how to do any of this stuff coming out of this, you know, the baby driving the tank 
and then be like so trusting and open and vulnerable. It's just like you know baby steps yeah. and, and little which is and why practicing. That, like, it's like yoga. Yeah. It's like w- learning how to it's walk. Anything. You know the baby. F- yeah, the baby falls. But this is falls why like this is why community is so critical. This is why mm-hmm. support meetings are such a powerful step in somebody's yeah. like because we health. get to destigmatize destigmatize ourselves. Well, and I get to t- I get to test practice right? i get to practice yeah. i get to like is it okay for me to be like this and mm-hmm. uh, in a support meeting where everyone is like hey i'm like that too right mm-hmm. like oh okay cool yeah. like there's a part of me yeah. like i don't have to be ashamed of that person that is a shared experience people that's yeah. not abnormal that's not unusual that not that doesn't just happen in me right and yeah, we're like we're not alone yeah being uh having people in your life that you know love you is so critical because the people that I know that love me are not going to kick me out if I act a fool one day. Right. Like, so we can take the, those risks that I was afraid to take when I was facing the world alone. Mm -hmm. And there may have been times in our lives when we were struggling, suffering and acting out because of it. And then we're punished for it. So, to, to build a, a normalcy around, like, yeah, I'm struggling, and I might act out, or I might be crabby, or I might say something mean, or whatever, to be supported in those moments of self also, and just be like, yeah, you're having a moment, that doesn't mean that I don't love you, that doesn't mean I don't want to be friends with you, that doesn't mean that there's, that you're, um, that you're bad, that you're wrong, or any of that stuff. I mean, I think just so many people, I mean, my, well, my, for myself, anytime that I had an experience like that, where I, you know, I just was just squished. I just feel like I, w- I was not able to express anything real or about myself for so long. Right. And then I, of course, recreated that in my adult relationships, blah, blah, blah. But so to, so fear comes up in me when I feel like I've done or said something inappropriate or out of line or kind of whatever. And then to live in a, to live in a community of friends and family and whatever of just like, Oh yeah, Carrie's sometimes she has an outburst or whatever. It's like, so what? Who cares? Sometimes she's frustrated. Sometimes she's snappy. And even layer three of that is like, she did it out of love. Like how can, Mm. how can we like, all, all of the motivations are like protection and self-love and like I lashed out because I was afraid, right? right. And so yeah. like how, how can we look at that and say like, oh, what's motivating that? Where, where did, was right. she hurt or threatened? Do I, have a, do I have a role in that? That's, that's a that's a elevated person, I think. They can be like, oh, wow, yeah. I received some hostility from a person they must be right it's the sick man's prayer it was it's like Mm -hmm. this is a spiritually sick person how could i be useful to them Mm -hmm. how can i support you right now and also once that starts to happen to you where you have a community of people that accept you in whatever condition you're in then you start to form that self-acceptance too and that self and that forgiveness and and start to be able to practice self-love and let yourself off the hook if you have less than stellar, you know, fucking Oscar-worthy moments right. in life, right. which everyone does. And I think just holding holding ourselves to just a, a, a standard that is not 
reality is something that I've probably will continue to work on. And to think that to think that I have to be as good of an artist as you or Mason or like these incredible artists that are that I'm so close to or musicians or whatever and realize that everybody has different skills and gifts and and whatever and there's no charge there's no meaning there's no value no way on any of no, them right they're all there's the nothing same amount there's nothing more noble about being an artist right like that's just that's just like what god asked me to be is that what god asked you to be is what you do right and there mm-hmm. isn't like well that's a good yeah. one and that's a bad one because they're all right. like this is what god has asked us this is what yeah, god tattooed on I, my heart Right, so assigning value to any of it is Mm -mm. worthless. Mm -hmm. It's not worth a worthwhile endeavor. Mm -hmm. And we're all equal in the eyes of God, right? All of us are God's favorites, right? I I say, like, (laughs) God's refrigerator is covered in pictures of you, right? Like, your (laughs) Christmas cookies are hung up on the wall in a place of honor, right? Like, that is how God feels about you. And all of his children, right? And everyone. Like, everyone is God's favorite. So, in that, like, there's no there's no difference. Right. No. Wow, we, we went in. We went in on that one. We went hard. We went, we went hard. I feel like I can cancel my therapy appointment <laughs> this week. Don't do that. That was great, though. I feel really good about that. I just love... I love these conversations. I love the feedback we get. And I just am really grateful and really just like really excited about yeah. this stuff. I mean, this is the stuff. This is what feels real yeah. to me. This is what feels I will important. Ask that if, it feels authentic. If people are liking our podcast, I think that it get that it's like maybe makes it easier for other people to find our podcast if you rate, if you give us a rating. You don't have to oh. write a review or anything, but if you give us a rating, I think it brings us to the top of like searches. If people, oh. if you're, if you're liking it, if you're, I mean, I guess if you're not liking it, you could rate it too. But if you're liking the podcast, no, don't rate it if you're not <laughs> liking it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not scared. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a great rate idea, Janet. Yeah, do, is, I don't know what the rating system is I on think stars. podcasts. I think it's stars. Is it stars or a thumbs up or something? Yeah, give us some love. Give us some give ratings. Give us some loving. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Send us to your that friends. Send, share. We're trying to go viral here, people. Yeah, we're trying to get a free mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I love my mattress food. that I have now. The truth. I is. know you do. I. I mean, I'm. Mine. Mine's fine. We're. We're kind of <laughs> joking. Kind of not. But I do want some free dog food. I do want free some athleisure wear. I like soft and pants and soft soft clothing. I like baby clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, soft clothes. Yeah, athleisure. Mm-hmm. COVID wear. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, well, we is will um, speak it, we will speak it into existence. Is um, Daisy done? I don't know, but I know there's no cookies in the kitchen. No, they're actually the on my table right here. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, I'll meet you in the kitchen <laughs> right. for those little schoolboys. <laughs> meet you in the kitchen. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.